0: You know, no matter where you find yourself this morning, uh, you came here this morning, uh, really glad you found the right time to be here. It's a different time. We were worried people were going to show up early or late, but uh, glad you're here. But whether you're um, after the holidays, uh, you find yourself um, really down and depressed because the holidays didn't live up to the expectation that you had, or you come this morning and you're filled with joy and rest because of what uh, this Christmas holiday has offered. No matter where you find yourself this morning, God promises uh, to meet you in his word. And so, uh, you know, as a church, we've been um, considering Christmas uh, for the last month or so. We've sung all the Christmas carols. Uh, we've read the birth account of, Jesus, of uh, Jesus. And Jason has shown us just how crazy the real story Of Christmas is. And as a church, we devote a lot of time to talking about the birth of Jesus. We also spend a lot of time as a church thinking about Jesus' three years of ministry towards the end of his life. And in particular, we spend a lot of time on the last week of Jesus' life leading up to his crucifixion. And so in the Bible and as a church, we talk a lot about the first few weeks of Jesus' life in the last few years. Uh, of his life as well. But have you ever thought about what's going on between those two times? What was Jesus doing for thirty years between his birth and his in the beginning of his ministry? When you think about it, ninety percent of Jesus' life is hardly mentioned in the scriptures. Our passage this morning is the only time in the Bible in which we see Jesus not as an infant, or as an adult. But this morning in our passage, we encounter Jesus as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus as a junior high school student. Have you ever thought about what Jesus was like as a child, what he was like as a teenager? Perhaps not, but I hope what you will see that by the end of our time this morning of just how important that is for us uh, today. So, if you would... uh, Find a copy of God's Word, it will be on the screen behind you. We're going to read uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 39, going down to verse 52. Hear God's Word to us today. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, "'Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress.' And he said to them, "'Why were you looking for me? "'Did you not know that I must be in my father's house?' And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. God, we confess that we need uh, your help as we consider this text this morning. If this is to be of any benefit to us today, it will require work of your Spirit in our hearts. And so, Spirit, come. We pray that you would teach us and that you would point us to our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. This week between... Christmas and New Year's is a strange week in our calendar. You've probably said to yourself this week, I have no clue what day it is. Uh, it's Wednesday, but it feels like Monday. A week like this throws us out of our normal schedule. Uh, it's it's uh, something that takes us out of our normal weekly rhythms, and it can be disorienting to us. And many people are still traveling Some of you were off of work this entire week, kids are out of school, college kids are back home and probably by this time are wishing that they were back uh, at school or either they are dreading going back to school because it was a really hard semester. We're transitioning from Christmas, you might have begun to take down your Christmas decorations by now and it's hard to know how to transition from Christmas. Christmas. To go from the parties and the celebration back to real life. It's true in our culture, but in a sense, it's true in the Bible as well. Where you go from the baby in the manger, what happens to this baby? There's a break that occurs in the story. We have all of this detail about the birth of Jesus, and then there is nothing. We know that the baby in the manger becomes the Savior on the cross, but what happens between those two times? And as we read in verse 40 this morning, that the child Jesus grew, that he became strong, he was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So that's what I want us to think about this morning, Jesus growing up. We're going to focus most of our time on verse 40, but we will reference uh, the remaining parts of the passage. But I want us to consider this by asking three questions. First, how Did Jesus grow? Secondly, why did he grow? And then finally, why does it really matter to us? What difference does it make to us? So, how, why, and so what? First, how did Jesus grow? Our our text begins with Jesus and his family returning from the temple. They presented him at the temple when he was around six weeks old. They made an offering to the Lord. And they were approached by and encountered two elderly people while they were at the temple. You have an old man named Simeon and a prophetess named Anna. Both testified that the Lord, that the the, the baby who was being presented at the temple was unlike any uh, baby. That he was the Lord's anointed, and so you know that there's been a lot of excitement in Jesus' life up to this point. You have his impromptu birth in a stable. You have the host of heavenly angels announcing his birth to the world. And you have these strange shepherd visitors who show up at the hospital to see the baby. And now you have these prophets at the temple proclaiming that this child is unlike any other child, that this would be the Messiah. He would be the one who would redeem Israel. And in verse 39, there is a bit of a dissent that occurs in the narrative. They leave the temple And they returned to Galilee. They returned to their own little town of Nazareth. The excitement was over for a time. They went back to their small town. And they lived their life. They went to their little town in the country. Joseph went back to his work as a carpenter. Mary went back home and she had to figure out what she was going to do as a new mom. Had to figure out how to make it all work with a baby in the home. They went from being the center of the show to now living in obscurity while Jesus grew from a baby into a man. And verses 40 and 52 function as bookends of this passage. They are echoes of one another. They both mention that Jesus grew up physically and spiritually and emotionally. So Luke wants us to know that the baby in the manger grew up. So back to our first question, how did Jesus grow He became strong. Jesus grew physically. Now, it it might be obvious, but the obvious things are what we tend to miss so many times. If Jesus became strong, it must mean that he was weak to begin with. That Jesus developed just like any other baby who has ever been born, but yet he was without sin. And so we know that human development the changes that we experience from infancy to adulthood, that that is not a part of the fallen world. That it's not a sin to grow up. Jesus grew up. This is how God designed the world to be. you ever thought about Jesus as a baby? Here you have the second person of the Trinity, the one who created all things by the word of his power, the one in whom all things exist, in whom all things are held together. He had to be fed and changed and burped. Jesus was as helpless and as dependent as any other baby who has ever lived. There is a temptation for us to want to deny the humanity of Jesus when we think about what life was like for him. We picture this baby with a halo around his head who wasn't like every other baby who didn't experience the same things that all of us experienced as babies. We have a seven-month-old at our house, and it's hard for me to imagine that Jesus experienced the same thing that we see John Martin doing as he grows up, that Jesus had to learn how to walk and talk. If you think about it, Jesus, when he was learning to walk, he fell down. He didn't just... The first time he tried to walk, he was suddenly the, uh, able to walk perfectly from day one. That Jesus' body grew. That he had to learn how to put one leg in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. The muscles and the ligaments and the joints in his body he had to learn how to walk. He didn't do it perfectly the first time. He fell down when he was trying to learn to walk. Jesus had to learn how to talk. He didn't come out of the womb with a perfectly formed vocabulary. You can imagine in that cute two-year-old little way that Jesus couldn't say his ours. He might have talked with a lisp. Jesus had to learn how to talk. Jesus was a toddler. In the, in, in the miracle above all miracles, Jesus was a three-year-old but yet was without sin. And I know that that stretches our minds in ways that we cannot even begin to grasp. But he did it. He was a toddler without sin. Jesus had to learn how to read. The Aramaic letters were not hardwired in his brain. Just picture this. Jesus had to learn the scriptures. He had to learn how to read the scriptures which he inspired. He who was before all time had to learn how to read. Can you imagine Jesus reading Isaiah for the first time? You know when we learn how to read the scriptures and we learn how to study the Bible, one of the rules we learn is the Bible's not about you. The Bible's not primarily a book about your interest in you and what and, and it doesn't fit into your. You are not the center of the Bible. But Jesus reads the scriptures, and he's the center of the Bible. It all points to him. He is the center and circumference of all of the scriptures. You know, even humorously, he could pick up his copy of the scriptures, he could read it and ask, what have I been up to in history? It's one of the astounding things about this passage that Jesus Jesus was in the temple, he was listening and he was learning, he was asking questions to the teachers, and that there were things about himself in the scriptures which he did not know. He had to learn the scriptures just like you and I have to learn the scriptures. That's what verse 40 says, that he was filled with wisdom. He didn't have it and he was filled with it. He had to learn what it was to trust his heavenly father, just like you and I have to learn what it is to trust God. He had to learn what it was to walk by faith and not by sight. He had to learn what it was to trust the goodness of his father, to take his father at his word, even when life did not make sense. Jesus had to learn how to be a carpenter. He had to learn under his father how to, be, how to use a saw, how to hammer a nail, and though this might venture into theological speculation, we can reasonably assume that Jesus made measuring errors when he was a carpenter. That every cut he made was not completely straight. That he had to grow in his skill as a carpenter, just like you and I have to grow in the vocation that God, God calls us to. And kids, I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus knows what it's like to be a 6-year-old? That Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be 10 years old. Jesus knows what it's like to be a teenager. You know what are you learning to do these days? What are you learning about the world these days? You think about Jesus, who is Lord over all who created math and science in whose mind math and science all make sense, all work together. Jesus had to learn these things, just like you are having to learn these things as well. What are you learning about God? Jesus had to learn these same things. What are you learning about yourself? How are you answering the questions of, who am I? Where do I fit in in this world? Jesus had to learn those same things, too. Jesus had to learn what it was what it means to navigate a broken world just like you were having to do. And so do you see how Jesus growing up, how him growing up shows us what it means to be a human being and how it, what it means to be a human being without sin? Because we can rightly assume that whatever Jesus did was completely free of sin and was utterly holy and was completely righteous. That Jesus grew up. That he was physically weak that he had to depend on others, that Jesus didn't know everything, that he had limits. And so it's freeing for us to remember that it is not a sin to have needs. It is not a sin to be dependent on other people. It is not a sin to be weak. That's part of what it means to be a human being. God did not create us to be autonomous, to be self-sufficient, He did not create us so that we would be able to meet all of our own needs. It's not sinful to be a kid. I need to remember that in my parenting. It's not sinful to be a baby who wakes up crying in the middle of the night needing your diaper to be changed. That's how God created us to be. It's not a sin to be a toddler. It's not a sin to be a kid or a teenager or a senior adult with all the limits and boundaries that come with that stage of life. Even in the garden, Adam had needs. Even before the fall, Adam, it was said that it was not good that Adam was alone, so God supplied Eve to meet the need that Adam had. To have limits, to have needs, to depend on other people is not sinful. It is a part of how God created us. But many times that's not how we operate We think that the more godly, the more sanctified that I am, the more holy that I am, the fewer needs that I will have. The more independent I will become. We think godliness looks like the person who needs to depend on no one. Godliness means the person who always gives and who never receives. Holiness is the person who has all of the answers and all of the resources. But that's not what we see in the life of Jesus And so I have to remember, have to preach to myself that it's okay that I I can't do everything. It's okay that I have to ask for help. It's okay that I can't meet all of the needs that I have. It's okay that I can't meet the needs of everyone around me. I have limits. And that's what makes me a human being and makes you a human being as well, Jesus was utterly holy, perfectly righteous, and yet he had limits. He was limited to being in one place at one time. In his humanity, there were things that he did not know. Jesus got hungry. He was tired. He needed friends. He lived in dependence upon his father. And so Jesus grew, and he became strong, and he was filled with wisdom and he shows you and I what it is to be a human being. And so, secondly, I want us to consider the question is why. Why did Jesus grow? To think about this, I want to offer up a hypothetical situation using another, uh, using another story in Jesus' childhood. Think about Matthew 2. This is when uh, Joseph, Jesus' father, was warned in a dream that he should take Mary and Jesus and they should flee the country. They should go into Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod, because Herod found out about Jesus and he was going to kill all of the male children in that area. But think about it for a second, what if that angel had never appeared? What, or think about it this way: What if Joseph had not obeyed what the angel commanded him to do? What if Jesus were numbered among those whom Herod killed? What would it mean for our salvation if Jesus died as a baby rather than as an adult? If you think about it, he was just as sinless at six weeks old as he was at 33 years old. He was no more sinless at 33 than he was as a baby. What would have been lacking in our redemption if Jesus had died under Herod? Could Jesus have been our Savior If he died as an infant, I believe the answer to that question is no. He could not have been our Savior and our Redeemer if he died as a child because more than just innocence, more than just sinlessness was needed. Maybe to ask it another way, what did Jesus have at 33 years old that he did not have as a baby? What he didn't have was a righteous record. He did not have a lifetime of obedience and righteousness And perfection. And so why did Jesus grow? Why did Jesus grow to earn a record of obedience? Why did Jesus grow to fulfill the law of God? To perfectly keep all of the commandments of God. To perfectly obey in all areas at all times. He did exactly what you and I are required to do but have failed to do each and every day. Have you considered just what it would take for you to fulfill the law of God? Have you thought about what it would mean for you to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, really think about that. What would have to change in your life for that to happen? That is so far From our present experience, it's hard for us to even imagine what life would look like. That even in the best moment of your best day, you are so far from what God requires that we cannot even imagine what it would be like to fulfill the law of God. Because the law makes demands that we cannot keep. The law is designed to bring us to the end of ourselves. And if we think about loving God with the entirety of who we are, if that doesn't cause us To give up. Think about Jesus' words in Matthew 5. He says, to, We are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. God demands perfection of us. Obedience to God's law is not graded on a bell curve. There are no participation trophies, and doing, just trying to do our best to obey God will not work. God demands perfection, His law demands perfection from all of us. And when we are faced with the law, when we see the law for what it really is, it brings us to the end of ourselves. It causes us to say, uncle, we give up. It is meant to wreck us, to show us that we cannot do what it requires of us. And so when you think about Jesus keeping the law of God, when you think about him fulfilling the law of God, do you think that it was easier for him to obey than it is for you to obey? Is it easier for Jesus to keep the law than it is for you to keep the law? Consider Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in every way as you are. That Jesus knows what it's like to be you. He is not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every way is tempted as we are, but yet is without sin. And so whatever you are facing right now, wherever you are right now, Jesus knows what it's like to be you. He has faced every temptation we have. As an early church father wrote, what is not assumed cannot be healed. Jesus was fully human in every way yet without sin, so that he could fully redeem all of what it means, all of who we are as human beings. If Jesus was anything less than fully human, he could not be our redeemer. And so his obedience was no less easy than yours is. We somehow have this view of Jesus that Jesus had the cheat codes on spirituality. He somehow... Uh, got away easy with it, that he was exempted from the same things that we face. I went to the University of Alabama, and um, you probably know this about Alabama. It attracts just cream-of-the-crop students, really, the the best you can imagine. Uh, Only the best uh, intellectually, academically, socially, morally, athletically, only the best are accepted at the University of Alabama. And because, and because they know that their students are just the best at, at, at Alabama, that on occasion, on occasion, um, you could enroll for classes that would allow you to take the final exam on the first day of class because they knew that their students were smarter than the average bear, uh, that if you could pass the final on the first day, you didn't have to go through the rigors of actually showing up at class and I may have been known to take a few of those classes at my time at Alabama. But we could think that Jesus' obedience was something like this, that because Jesus was the Son of God, that he took, the, he took the exam on temptation and sin early, that Jesus didn't have to go to class like you and I have to go to class. He didn't have to face what you and I have to face. Surely Jesus didn't face the same temptation that I face to find my security and significance and worth in what other people think. Surely Jesus wasn't tempted to be a people pleaser in the same way that I am. Surely Jesus didn't face the same sexual temptations that I face. Surely he didn't face the same desires for self-promotion and gossip and slander. Surely Jesus just woke up every morning and obedience was easy for him. We think Jesus had it easier, but we somehow have it much harder. That is not true. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who knows what it's like to face temptation. Even in our passage this morning, Jesus was submissive to his sinful parents. They didn't understand what he was doing. Mary and Joseph missed it on this one. But Jesus willingly and gladly submitted to their flawed leadership and their flawed parenting. Jesus kept the fifth commandment to honor his father and his mother. It was just as hard for him to do this as it is for you and I to honor our fathers and mothers. So think about it again. Why is it that Jesus grew? He grew so that he could earn a perfect record of righteousness and obedience, so that he could completely fulfill the law of God, so that he could do what everyone since Adam, including me and you, have failed to do, to keep the law of God. Which brings us to our final question, so what? Why does this really matter? Why should I care about the fact that Jesus grew? Where does this intersect with my life today? As you think about Jesus earning a record of righteousness, as you think about him earning a record of righteousness, do you think about him doing so as your standard or as your savior? When you think about Jesus earning a record of righteousness, do you think about him doing so as your savior or as your standard? How you answer that question will determine your view of God. How you answer that question will determine how you relate to God. Does Jesus obey the law as an example for you to emulate? Does he obey the law primarily... To set a bar up really high so that you have to reach that bar? Does he obey the law as an example for you? Is he a standard of righteousness which you must achieve? If Jesus is simply our example, if he is simply just a model for us to keep, a bar for us to live up to, then it is really bad news for us. In fact, it is the worst news that we could ever think because we've got no hope because we cannot and we have not done What is required of us? If in our minds we think, well, Jesus lived the perfect life. And so what that means for me is that now I've got to get busy living the perfect life for him. If that's our view, if our view is that now we have to attain this level that Jesus has set for us, we are doomed to a life of guilt and misery because we know that we do not measure up. Or we're we're going to have a life filled with self-righteousness because we're going to subtly compare ourselves to those around us. We're going to find people around us that we think we're marginally better than in some areas so we can compare ourselves with them to make ourselves feel better, to justify ourselves. If we view Jesus as the standard to keep, it's really bad news. But if Jesus is your Savior and not your standard, then it's very good news indeed. If you see that Jesus was earning a perfect record for you, if he was earning a perfect record on your behalf, then it is the best news in the entire world. Because the gospel is that by faith that Jesus' record is yours. For everywhere you've messed up, every way that you have gone wrong, Jesus did it for you. He did it in your place. He got it right for you. If you belong to Jesus, at this very moment, right here in this very moment, God right now sees you as though you had never sinned nor been a sinner. He sees you as if you were as perfectly obedient as Jesus was obedient for you. And though even though you are still inclined towards all evil even though you still sin each and every day, even though your conscience accuses you of never having kept the law of God, the gospel is that out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to you the perfect righteousness and holiness of Christ. Why is it a big deal that Jesus earned a record of righteousness? It's a big deal because you couldn't and you haven't. And that out of sheer grace, He offers His record to you. And so in the face of your sin, in the face of your failure, in the face of all the ways that you have messed your life up, Jesus does not meet you with a face of disgust. He doesn't meet you with a wagging finger. He doesn't look down on you right now and think, when will you get your act together? He doesn't look down and think, when will Martin start earning it? When will he start acting like he is one of the redeemed? In the gospel, we don't get any of that. Rather, what we get is Jesus saying, take my record in their place. Take my sacrifice as a payment for his sin. Take my obedience in the place of his disobedience. And so in the place of your failures as a parent, in the place of your failure as a spouse, in the place of your failure as a friend or as an employee, see Jesus being obedient in your place. Jesus got it right to free you from the bondage of trying to earn the very thing that you already have in him. where you you have given in to temptation over and over again. See Jesus, your Savior, obeying in your place. When your love and your commitment for God wanes, when your heart grows cold towards God, see Jesus' full and complete obedience in your place. Because what's going to change your life? What's going to move you? What is going to give you the ability to obey God's law? What is going to bring freedom and not bondage to you, it's realizing that He has done everything for you. It's realizing that He got it right, and that He was obedient for you. He was obedient in your place. It's realizing that you are safe and secure in the arms of God, and that not even hell itself can tear you apart from His love. Because if the King of glory if the infinite and the eternal God would leave heaven to come after you, if he would subject himself to the pain and suffering of this world, if he would earn a record of righteousness for you and be crucified for your sins, if he would do all of this for you, then there is nothing that will keep you from his love. And at this table this morning, we are reminded again, as we come to the table, that there is no depth, There is no link, that there is no place that God will not go for his own. And we see again at this table that what God's people need, that God himself will provide for them. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have fulfilled the law in our place, that your record is given to us. And so, Spirit, help us to receive this word. And in your power, we pray that you would multiply it to your glory. We also ask that as we bring our offering to you, that you would make us generous givers as you have been generous with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.